you could do something really nuts that no one's ever seen before or they don't know if they want to see it or just just go crazy and and may really do the thing that almost scares you um because if you feel that way about it other people are probably going to feel that way too hi everyone and welcome to making ways the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career i'm your host rob goodman and on today's show we're talking to film director, music video creator, Tim Nakashi. Tim is a friend of mine, and on a recent visit to L.A., I got to sit down with him and learn all about his path to directing music videos for Maroon 5, TV on the Radio, Craig Wedrin, and a really breakthrough piece he did for OK Go. We're going to talk all about the life of a music video director and a film director, surprises that he's encountered, through his career, the happenstance meetup with a member of OK Go, which ultimately led him to that seismic opportunity to direct a video for OK Go, and some of the projects that he's done over the years, and how he kind of just got his hands dirty and started diving into film without any specific formal training. Before we get started, I want to tell you about our partner, General Assembly. They're an amazing continuing ed organization. They've got campuses all across the country. Check out ga.co and use the offer code MAKINGWAYS at checkout, and you'll get 15% off any workshop or class. You can learn about digital marketing, UX design, data science, and so many new disciplines to really transform your career. Okay, let's get started with the conversation with Tim Nakashi. Enjoy the show. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Great to uh, see you in, in sunny LA. Yep. So for listeners out there, you are a music video director. You also do commercial shoots, and you're getting into more film narrative work. Right. And uh, what is your mix these days of commercial work versus music videos? Well, yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, it's almost hard for me to say because it seems like it's one or the other every other month or something like that. So it's kind of becoming a bit even, uh, whereas, you know, in the last few years, yeah, music videos have been sort of my predominant thing to do. But I never really necessarily saw myself as a music video director. Uh, but I did love, I do love doing them. and I always want to do them for sure. And, you know, I have a music background as well. So that kind of makes, well, I don't know. I just really love music and I love music videos, but yeah. Being a music video director is kind of like, I feel like a lot of people's dream job. People who love music, who love visuals, who want to do film. I, I definitely, there was a definitely a time in my life when I was a kid, I was like, I this is what I want to do. This is the coolest thing. How did you start getting into it? Did you study film in college? Did not study film in college. I was a painting major, okay, <laughs> which my parents were really happy about. <laughs> and uh, yeah, literally like visual arts. Um, Where'd you go to school? Uh, University of Florida and some at UGA in Athens, Georgia. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of like not really knowing what to do with my interests, but being a little headstrong and saying, oh, I'm still sticking with these things that I definitely know I'm not going to find a job (laughs) from. So it's kind of funny looking back. I almost wonder if I should have done something else. But um, yeah, so I didn't study film. I was living in Athens, Georgia, playing in a band. And uh, what do you play? 
you know, bass and keys and sample stuff and drums too. And yeah, you know, a little bit of everything. Jack of all trades. Um, sort of like making noises and then turning that into a pop song if I can. Nice. Um, and then uh, so a buddy and I started making a fledgling documentary project that you know got some steam and we we actually completed after a lot of work and effort this is we, in college this was yeah it's like just after um in athens georgia basically te- teaching ourselves to like shoot and edit it and learn final cut pro at the time and you know i and i did the music for it as well and uh so anyway yeah that got into festivals and next thing you know i was basically trying to figure out a move to LA and from a small town in Athens, Georgia. And, uh, once out here, I kind of didn't, still didn't know how to parlay that film effort and getting into, it actually got into Sundance, which was amazing. We're, and the film's I, called dirty work. The film's called dirty work. It's about three people with gross jobs who love their jobs. Um, and did you, did you love film growing up? Did you always go around shooting things or was this more, there was a story you wanted to tell and you had to learn this medium in order to tell it. Like where did the jump into film? What was that spark? I I did not necessarily grow up being like an avid film buff type of kid. Although I I really connected with movies a lot, you know, like growing up, I didn't watch movies and think about filmmaking. I watched movies and thought about the characters and got invested in the stories. Um, So I'd be like the type of kid who'd say like, Oh, I didn't like that movie because I didn't like what happened to that character. not realizing like, oh, that movie really got to me. Later on, I sort of started realizing, oh, that's how you can watch movies also, like a little bit more of a aerial perspective. But uh, but yeah, I, w- I grew up, you know, basically doing a lot of visual art. I was sort of like the drawing kid in every class and also the class clown. And, you know, I think we're all sort of like pull from those kinds of aspects of our personalities and mindsets uh, when we try to do film stuff. But basically, I... I think I really love more than anything storytelling, joke telling, character, and and I think it's somewhere in there abstractly is my answer is yeah, that's <laughs> that's what kind of I think has fed into like my passion for film. So like the first doc, the documentary project was just character portraits that are they're pretty quirky and say a lot of odd things and. Um, you know, anyway, it was a great entree in the film stuff for sure. And that got into Sundance and it was executive produced by Ed Norton. That's right. Yeah. And so it got you guys a lot of attention and acclaim and you thought, okay, now that we have this kind of platform, what am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, basically going into the project, I literally thought, hey, maybe Ed Norton or some other people will think, Tim's a good editor. I'll hire him for editing projects. It was I was actually aiming a bit low, and uh, but then it got into Sundance. We, you know, Ed Norton came out and our film, you know, introduced us as like important filmmakers, which was awesome, right? And uh, you know, it, it had sold out screenings, and it sort of felt like, wow, we're really making a splash here. It clearly, uh, all I need to think about now is like what color limo I want to be riding to the Oscars. <laughs> so. Uh, but no, I mean, I didn't, Obviously. I didn't get so, so much of a big head about myself, but I did kind of think, well, this will hopefully just slide on into more momentum, but it didn't necessarily. I had to, you know, I basically moved out here a couple of years later, 
started editing, uh, the first things I was doing were behind the scenes stuff for movies and some shows. Good work, honestly, but I wasn't feeling like a filmmaker necessarily in the way I wanted to. So I, I decided music videos could be a way to feel like a filmmaker, you know? So I had friends in bands cause I was in bands. It sort of was like an easy, just reach over and tap a friend on the shoulder kind of process to, to try to make a few videos. Um, and they, yeah, they, they were the first ones were pretty lo-fi, small budget things, shooting kind of live stuff. Uh, there weren't, it wasn't exactly like a monitor or a, or chairs or anything involved or crafty, but in, but, uh, soon enough, I kind of had a couple of little lucky breaks and got to pitch video concepts to bands that do video concepts and yeah what was that kind of first uh bigger break the first bigger break was that i had just uh i had a friend who was playing bass for gnarls barkley as they were like wrapping up their last tour yeah she is awesome and she basically kind of connected me with them to shoot their last show live which which was in athens georgia where i'd moved from so I, i was like an easy like fit for the project um live things are kind of fun they're not like they're not so gratifying but i you know went for it of course and uh came back in town i was driving in silver lake basically pulled into a parking lot and i I see i'd already met this guy named ted nordwin of okay go because i had edited something for a, a friend of a friend that was like this web series i just did for free like doing free work out here kind of can pay off and here's an example tim really liked working with me on that he was like a star in the web series he's the basis for okay go i pulled into a parking lot like literally almost hit him and uh, <laughs> and we kind of laughed about it basically sat and had pinkberry and he was asking me what i was up to and i said oh i just shot something for Gnarls barkley i kind of omitted that it was a live you know whatever shoot and, uh, <laughs> and he's like oh you know that made him that made me sound like i'm i'm cool and i do big stuff so he was like well you should pitch us something and then like a week later, I started pitching things to them. And w- one of them they liked. And I was surprised they even understood what I was talking about because it was this idea. I had like a folder of ideas I had on my in a laptop for like a year of just like, this would be cool for a video, that and the other. So I'd, I basically had one that I'd really been holding on to for a while thinking one day I'll make this. And I realized and you know, at a certain moment, like this is the band. Okay, go are the guys that make ideas like this good yeah they're and, known for yeah. really kind of uh experimental fun visually yeah uh kind of crazy uh exactly videos. Yeah. yeah they're incredibly diligent like they they really go for it so you know cut to like a week or two later we were shooting this video at um i had a friend who basically produces for tim and eric so we got to use a, a tim and eric green screen you know in their, in their previous studio or two which was really crappy and awesome and they um you know we shot like 120 takes of this thing over a weekend and uh it's for their song wtf yeah exactly yeah and i'll post the video it's uh amazing i mean you can probably describe it better than than I can but well it's funny because I don't know if I could because <laughs> I described it as this I was like very uh, abstract and technical about it when I pitched it to them I was like well we're basically gonna 
you're going to be in front of like a white cycle or similar and you're going to start to move and we're going to keep every frame on screen of your movement throughout the whole video and it's just going to build up into like a color field and i think that doesn't really sell it <laughs> at all because you wouldn't know what that meant so how did you sell it how, how did you convince them that these words were going to equal this really uh powerful visual I kind of put this like visual on a page of like a repeat image. It's sort of like the early, is it Edward Moybridge or the other guy? Um, those photographs where it's multiple strobe, long exposure mm -hmm. of somebody running. So I was like, it's going to be like that, but much more digital because we're shooting 24 frames a second. So if you move your hand in a, in a you know sweep, you're going to see 24 hands that you're going to leave behind every second. And, uh, so it was going to be kind of digitally and glitchy and fucked up or whatever. And, you know, that's, that's how I sold it. I think, I mean, I really just sort of said the most basic stuff and they were <laughs> like, okay, let's do it. You know? And how quickly did it then go from Pinkberry to making the video and seeing it out in the world? Yeah. I mean, actually that was a funny thing because the Pinkberry to shooting it was only a couple of weeks, but <laughs> then they sort of held on to it. They were at Capitol records. They, this was like at a time when like labels were against like YouTube and still a little bit or like YouTube was of course already everywhere, but it was like, they didn't want the, basically the label stopped it from going viral. Cause you could only watch it on YouTube. You couldn't like post it on Facebook and then have it actually play. So that's why, okay, go left their label. And so my, oh, wow. and this was maybe before Vivo, which was their partnership just with before YouTube that, exactly. to 2009, 2010, make the revenue, more revenue from the video plays. Right. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, so the video kind of did go viral, but it also kind of got thrown under the bus a little bit in the process of them leaving the label, which was fine, whatever these things happen. But, um, so then I was like, you know, had the video did kind of go viral, like Kanye West, like reposted it and. William Gibson or who, you know, people that I think are cool were like talking about it and like, you know, ideas that it expresses or something. So I was like, okay, now I really need to think about that limo. And, uh, <laughs> and like, We're getting to that limo. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then like, so I started doing this, uh, you know, I had a website I'd made myself, I, you know, I was like, okay, can I be a director who's at a production company? And uh, so a friend had basically said, you know, start reaching out to people and so i did this really cool email and reaching out to people and i just didn't hear from anybody for like six months and really after the okay go video yeah that's shocking i was surprised but hey i guess <laughs> it is what it is but um but yeah then things eventually started hitting off with videos and stuff and you went on to do work for maroon five yeah uh, tv on the radio death cab for cutie um maroon five is such a big band they're one of the biggest bands in the world how did that come about how does the how does the pitch process typically work yeah i mean i think i just happened to be like yeah that it was a weird transition it was like quite a gear shift because i had just done a theophilus london music video on a beach it was a super small budget it was the first time i was i wrote a treatment and it went to a label and then they came back and said could you change this or that and i'm changing the pdf and then sending it back and then <laughs> Now here's a budget and you're shooting. There, there are chairs at the videos place or at the actual location. This and is for Maroon 5? This is just the Theophilus okay. London. It was like the first of its sort. Did that video, you know, kind of had a whatever. A, a, just, you know, 
it was like a small video did well or whatever and then the then the next thing i was sent by my rep is was this maroon five song and i'm like oh, you know of course i'm like outclassed here like <laughs> this is the last thing i just did that was like for peanuts and the video budget was huge but um I think I just got them at, at the right time when they happened to be wanting to like choose the odd person and uh, do the weird thing because it's definitely, it was like the, it was more of a stunt in a way, the video, as opposed to a, being like a narrative with Adam and a girl by a pool or whatever. Right. Because the Adam and his girlfriend or, or wife right. uh, were kind of driven around in a glass case so that people could look in on them and same thing with the band performing how, how did that how did that work yeah it was just uh how did we how did it work on the shoot day you mean yeah i guess how did you guys how did you do it it was crazy i mean basically we had i found this like glass enclosure type of display van that was actually in new jersey i found it online it, they had it driven out and it was perfect yeah so it was really just kind of like this sort of voyeur you know, celebrity, maybe, maybe they're hungry for attention. Maybe people are hungry to see them. What, you know, who knows what exactly it says in a way. Um, was it through Times Square or just New York City? Where was it? Actually, that? that was all in LA. It opens on like Santa Monica Pier. Okay. Yeah. And uh, then there's, at the, by the time it's nighttime, it's also on Hollywood Boulevard. And basically, no, no extras were hired or even or anything you know they that was, that was just people who naturally showed up to kind of like see what's going on and right then then hang out while we were filming you know takes and stuff and look in on him in bed with this beautiful woman yeah <laughs> yeah and the people were just like piling against the window it was awesome I honestly I, I couldn't believe how well it went did the band freak out at any time and be like this is a little too much like uh only at the like last second like finally at a certain point like adam was like you know what let's get the fuck out of here this is driving me nuts which was really funny that guy's actually really funny And what about the Death Cab for Cutie video? Because that was, was that the first ever live one-shot music video? It's like, the, yeah, the first live while, you know, broadcast while it's shooting, multi-camera, one take, kind of whatever it is, yeah. Um, which was super stressful <laughs> because I was basically, we didn't have like tons of days of prep. We just kind of came up with a bunch of scenarios, had like a couple of, had basically a day to like rehearse the camera and the people and the lighting and all the stuff. And then it really sort of came down to like with everybody assembled and costumes and everything, we had like three, we, we, we basically had one shot at it with, with like two rehearsals beforehand that didn't go well. And I, <laughs> because I was, whatever you were doing this multi-camera right. in, in one sweeping live shot. So it was being broadcast live and then whatever was, broadcast it was also being recorded that was the music video it that's in. it yeah totally <laughs> so and i was calling out where the when the cameras were going to be you know i was basically giving a camera one through four like notes of when they're gonna when we're coming up for you but i was also calling out the edit live uh so you know i'm like 
all right, camera two and three, two, one, camera two, and then now on camera, you know, like whatever. And then at, at certain points, I actually made a few mistakes, and they are in there, which is kind of funny now. But that I'm sure only you can tell, and no yeah. one else can. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I mean, seriously, probably the, one of the most stressful days of my life. Was that the most challenging shoot that you've ever done, or can you think yeah. of one that was? Uh, even hairier well funny thing is is like actually the okay go shoot was probably the most challenging because we were it was a one shot it came down to a lot of little pieces and parts it wasn't a huge crew and also it was kind of the first for me that was like the first time like i'm in a studio we said we're doing this is this gonna work the guys were there they're they're like it was like the i was feeling the pressure like a newbie in a way that like the day after i was still kind of like in like a weird adrenaline rush like I was sitting on my couch, like in a daze, like I was really. Yeah. Do you have that kind of uh, fake it till you make it kind of attitude, or do you just show up on set? Maybe, and now you've had a lot more experience. But I guess in those first early shoots, did you show up on set and just be you, and you know, be open to the fact that you were there to learn and also direct at the same time? Like, how did you find that space to both command the room and also be where you were in your career? If you're faking it till you make it, or like as that saying goes, well, you're actually just making it, you know, like you, <laughs> you're doing it, you're doing it. You're you just know? like quelling internal, uh, yeah. uh, you know, self-doubt. Every, everybody feels like the emperor has no clothes as a director on a set. Like I guarantee you it, even if they've done it, if they're Christopher Nolan, they still feel a little bit like, yeah, but what if this isn't good? What if whatever? And, um, well, maybe not Christopher Nolan, at this point, but <laughs> You get the idea. Like yeah. I think, though, that um, I think I have always had the philosophy that uh, one, I, I would really regret not trying, right? So I'm happy to try and fail. At least I can be, I can sit on the porch when I'm 80 and be like, well, I did, I fucking tried, you know. And then I also think just about anybody kind of deserves a chance to try. So and that that's true of me. So I always felt like I don't actually have the best, like I've never really felt like, oh, my ideas are better than everyone else's. I deserve a shot. Like if I was on one of those like green light project shows, it'd be really tough for me to be like, okay, why are you the guy for the job? I wouldn't be like, well, actually we're all pretty good. Um, I, I would, it'd be really tough for me to say, you know, oh my God, I'm the brilliant one here. Everyone else just go away. <laughs> right. But I, but on the other hand, I do think, you know, I, I definitely have always felt like, well, I'm as good as the next person. I'm not actually like shitty or I'm not an idiot. I, I deserve a chance. So like coming from that as the sort of basis, you know, you walk into the room and yeah, you start making it. And how about new technology? I mean, I see in a lot of your work um, an interest in not only sometimes portraying kind of sci-fi like scenes, but also using technology in interesting ways. I mean, I remember the Craig Wedron video mm -hmm. for Are We, which was, it was 360, right? Yeah. And this is years ago. And now, yeah. you know, in 2017, people are it's finally everything. talking about like, yeah. oh, using 360 and VR and immersive and all that stuff. But you made that video when in 2011 or? Yeah, or even 2010. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, which is just really cool. But I guess what what's in your mindset about um, using Using new technology and how do you think about marrying that up with with the right story or advancing the story you're trying to tell well i don't really uh necessarily know 
that, that's sort of an afterthought as to in a way there, there I think I have this feeling that there are new technology you know like we grew up watching back to the future in movies like that where you're seeing these scenes where someone's hacked to like an Atari with a speaking <laughs> spell with a TV and a toaster. Yeah. And I, a little bit, I think in the back of my mind do kind of romanticize that. Like if you combine a couple of things here, you're going to find like a trap door to another dimension. <laughs> and cause, and sometimes like these things kind of have that feeling or effect. If you, you know, I just did a, a thing last year where I, a little Ray-Ban spot where I just aimed two cameras directly at each other. And there's a guy dancing um, and, and that's all it is. And you're just cutting between the two cameras and it sounds like nothing because you're sort of just strobing between these two cameras. But I did a few little tweaks to it, um, that I don't even have to go into, but like, it, it's a really jarring effect that makes you see something in a way you've never seen it before. And so I, I, if I can, if you can feel that, if you can, if I can feel really excited, like maybe if I've put a rubber band around this toaster and this microwave, it's going to turn into something else, even in, just visually uh, without time travel or no time travel. Like that's super exciting. And I think, but of course you, making a, a sort of device, visual device is a, it's only going to get you so far in terms of like in some kind of result. It's all, ultimately you would want that to feel integrated with the story or a character or a song or something else and feel kind of essential to it. And so, yeah, the, the, I usually just try to like see how, what, what does it sort of call up in me or what, a, what, in what ways I can do that in terms of like for advancing storytelling. And uh, yeah, it definitely seems like, you know, virtual reality is coming and it's a, it's a way that other people are also getting excited about that kind of idea, I suppose. And do you do little visual experiments before you write down a treatment or pitch it to make sure, hey, I've got this idea in my mind, but let me make sure this actually will work to some degree? Yeah, often. I often do, yeah. I mean, there was one I did for a Neon Indian video where I basically I had an iPad with like a QuickTime movie I created on it. And then if I wave that in the air the with, a, with the camera on long exposure it would create like a tracer effect of that was evolving per the QuickTime movies frames. So it kind of painted like a three dimensional object in the air. And so like I did that and I sent it to them and they're like, Oh, this is cool. Let's do it. You know? So the, yeah, but, but I don't know if I could have conveyed that otherwise without doing the demo. Right. So yeah, lots of times. Hey guys, I want to tell you about our sponsor, General Assembly. They are an amazing organization with classes all across the country, even across the world. They've got campuses where you can learn about digital marketing, SEO, data science, UX design and research. And they're really a phenomenal group of people who even help you after you graduate from these classes, take your career in a new direction by connecting you with people who work in those fields and actually can help you even meet people and get you placed. So check out ga.co. And if you use the offer code MAKINGWAYS at checkout, you'll get 15% off any class or workshop. So check it out. Let me know what you guys think. And let's get back to the show. And uh, have you been kind of writing screenplays and thinking about both documentaries and short films that were even feature length 
films over the span of, of all these years that you've been making commercials and music video work? And how does that kind of fit into your creative interests and what you want to do? Yeah, it's funny. I've sort of like, uh, I've, the whole time I've been writing stuff, I've been working on a couple of script ideas and now a few more even are really gaining momentum. And, you know, short documentaries are, for me, something I, I would only, only want to do if I was really like inspired to do them. Uh, and I did one last, or it finished last year that I was really excited about and felt really gratifying. And so, and I've more recently made a short film that's sort of a proof of concept for a feature I'm trying to move forward. And um, the goal has always been to be a feature director. I just, I guess I'm just taking my time here. It has. But, uh, when, when did that goal emerge for you? Like back in when Dirty Work happened or? Yes, Dirty Work and just moving out to LA and sort of feeling, kind of got the bug, you know, with Dirty Work. And then from there, it's just grown. Okay, so that's that's the goal. So you've always been working and pitching and having your agent go out there and, and pitch I would ideas not or? say I have always been pitching. In fact, I... Yeah, it's a funny thing, but I, I guess I've sort of thought, oh, I'm going to make these music videos, and then people are just going to like come knocking on the door. Right. And they didn't really Okay. Uh, until recently. And so now I have, I'm having all those meetings with the agents and managers, and people are knocking, which is nice. So now I am pitching, finally. What kind of movies do you want to make? Um, I think I would like to make, yeah, it's funny, uh, my girlfriend sort of did this cool thing where she asked me like some of my favorite movies and then she basically psychoanalyzed me and what I like about movies. And I sort of realized <laughs> like, you know, E.T. and Back to the Future and Fight Club and whatever kind of realized like I like movies where the uh, there's an antihero, an unsuspecting kind of savior who, you know, uh, only this other innocent person probably can discover and, and understand their point of view and they sort of help them to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and I, I do love those kinds of movies and that is probably the kind of movie I want to make. And and so work, I'm working on something right now that's probably, you know, you could say pulls from some of my music video sort of visual aesthetic, I suppose that, Hey, if somebody, said this reminds them of a Spike Jones, Charlie Kaufman type of movie. I would definitely take that as a compliment. That's you know? awesome. So. And then over uh, the recent years, as you mentioned, you did find some documentary subjects that you were really passionate about mm -hmm. and you made Through the Wall and Is History Repeating Itself. Tell me about both those projects because in watching Through the Wall, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of rhetoric about a wall between us and Mexico over the past couple of years. Right. Um, I actually didn't realize that there is a wall there. Um, mm. And I guess what drove you to want to investigate that subject and the people behind it? Hmm. That's interesting. I Yeah, kind of long before the recent rhetoric, probably like four years ago, I think I stumbled on a New York Times article even that talked about families meeting at the the border wall, the sort of the fence that's around San Diego or you know the southern end of San Diego, and you know it was it had a couple photos and just sort of talked about like very casually about this day when people were connecting through it, and it sort of always stuck with me. And I think I at the time, you know, Obama was in office. I wasn't feeling like oh my god, this huge rush of you know anger or defense about 
the the various politics and social implications of the wall and that are now like so heated but like i i just was really to be honest with you i kind of saw it as a more like an existential situation you know you you go to a wall you cannot touch the other person you can't you don't live with that person but they're a family member um so it's very sad because you will at the end of that day have to leave and they will go back to their lives you, you do not actually your paths are not together and yet at the same time by going there and seeing them you do feel something you feel a connection you get you feel connected because there's this resilience of human spirit despite the you know this is an economy here there's one there we got to think about things a bit but i do think the wall the that wall is going to kind of end up in the future going down in history as being sort of a you know a regret of sorts uh, I, I I pulled in a producer named Cello Alvarez Dele, and she I knew she could find people, so I had this idea. She found the actual subjects, and uh, it was a bit of work on her part for months to kind of track down people who don't have cell phones are really elusive. They don't know if they want to be photographed because they were undocumented, illegal, basically in the U.S. So there were like some risks and things taken that were, you know, so important you know and so i felt pretty lucky that it came together in that sense and on last thing i'll say is that i also felt lucky that i happened to find a subject this woman abril who i feel like she kind of walked a, a kind of a great line of you could say morality and ethics too in the sense that she actually considered leaving going back over when she realized late in her teens that she was illegal and undocumented but she didn't because her mom was divorced so it, it caused her to stay here she was you know she just kind of was like a good person it's not somebody who's come over here done terrible things and trying to get away with murder or something you know so it was kind of a very sympathetic face on the on it this is the thing when i was young they never talked to me about having papers i grew up thinking I was a U.S. citizen. I'm not ashamed, it's just that, I don't know, it, it gets me sad because I wanted to go to college. And when you don't have documents, everything goes down. And what about is history repeating itself? Because that, that was shot and created more in the current kind of climate and kind of is this really beautiful, moving piece that relates a lot of the rhetoric around banning Muslims to the Japanese internment That's right. um, that happened. So how did that come about? And is that something that you pursued uh, in terms of just being passionate about making making this message heard? Yeah, uh, my friend Aya Tanamura had the original idea to do this and um, basically had already gotten Katy Perry on board to kind of like push it along in whatever way that they could push it along, which was already a great like train to hop onto and uh you know i just i really connect with that story um just like i think we all do not not in any specific way in particular even though my last name sounds japanese i'm not actually okay um and basically you know um i actually went to auschwitz in poland a year and a half ago for the first time and being there really hits you of, of course as hard as you could ever imagine it really would there are, there are things that they don't you picture fences and sayings over archways and 
stuff, but you don't necessarily picture a room that's just a, a huge warehouse full of a pile of shoes and you're seeing them for real. And, you know, there's something about se seeing the physical space, the real representation of one of the darkest, you know, points in human history that, you know, you can't, and you don't, you don't want to unsee it, but you also, you couldn't if you tried. And I think something about that also kind of, you know, moved me into really being excited about this project and the idea of wanting to hedge, like immediately take head on against, you know, Trump's rhetoric. Basically we made that and released it, uh, within a week of the inauguration, which we just felt like was, it was a week before I want to say, which felt like a really important time because we just, it sort of felt like who knows what's going to come next. And of course, but, uh, yeah, the project was basically a different, uh, kind of concept altogether. It's a, it's a, um, you're seeing, you're, you're hearing the actual accounts of a woman named Haru who, whose family was taken off and taken to the internment camps for a couple of years, which really pulled them out of their lives. And they were never able to really rebuild them properly again, because they were rejected once they came back even. And so, and they, she had family businesses, they had a family farm, all of that was just gone. Uh, so you're hearing that real person's story you think you're seeing her saying it and she's in her eighties, but it's then there, but there's like a mission impossible style pulling off of a face mask to reveal that it's a modern Muslim woman who says, don't let history repeat itself. And we thought it was very simple and compelling. And, and I think it was simple and compelling. Um, and it was ironic, let's say that it got perceived as being very political because there's really nothing political about the statement. And, Two years ago, you would have thought, why did you make this? What is the point? But now we see that there, the idea of, you know, selecting a group of people based solely on religion or something like that uh, is, you know, it's not what we think of as our American values. You know, it's against everything we stand for. So, uh, I, but a, yeah, it, it was kind of like a, a crazy shitstorm on the internet of, in terms of reactions. And it was a really exciting thing because we were able to watch, you know, you get the YouTube, you have the YouTube account, you can kind of see the, the metrics, but you're also seeing like comments and there were the sort of the, the people coming out of the shadows that are these like extremist right wingers who basically attack people personally uh, and other people's comments. And we were seeing, we we're getting this like early groundswell of negativity. We we're like, we we're wondering like, oh God, what, where are people just going to, is this going to just kind of drop and, and sort of seem like logical people going to this are going to look at this and think we got 8,000 negative comments here. This must be kind of like something I don't want to watch or right. get into. Right. But then Katy Perry tweeted it and literally her fans, her like whatever, gazillion fans are so diehard on anything she supports that it was like watching a little virus attack a bacteria because <laughs> they were on there like taking down like random like shining like Unabomber a, a, guy like a rainbow here. like yeah like uh light onto it and, like, yeah disinfecting it disinfecting it but also attacking those people back and like you know 17 millennials to everyone like unabomber like right. kind of conversation overpowering them with love yeah basically yeah and a, and a lot of snarky insults <laughs> yeah i mean it was very internet-y and like terrible like the whole comment thing is like it's definitely us unlocking like our own like id as a collective 
people. So it's weird, but a great little journey for sure. Yeah, it was such a powerful message. It still is. So thanks, thanks so for putting it out there. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So you've had a, a ton of success in the work that you're doing, but I love that the main goal is still, you know, it's still coming up for you. But where you are in your career and the experiences that you've had, do you have advice for people who maybe they do want to, you know, direct music videos, for instance, and get into that? I think even in the past few years, things have changed, right? Where it's like people just make stuff, they put it out there and sometimes it can, it can blow up. But if you actually want to kind of get into this world of being on set and making things, what would you say? I think ultimately if, if, if it's the music video route as part of your, if that's a, if that's part of your route to getting to where you want to go, I would say that, um, then that means that ultimately your work is going to be on YouTube. And because that is currently the space where every, that literally drives the music business right now. Um, like if it's the top video on YouTube, it's the top billboard song of the year. Like wow. Gangnam Style was that year. Harlem Shake doesn't yeah. even have like an artist attached. That was the best. That was the biggest song of that year, which is weird. But anyway, so um, I would just say if your work's going to end up in that kind of a space like YouTube, um, you want people to react to it strongly. You know, it's it can be easy to think about yourself as, well, let me just get to the let me do the small work and and work my way up, which means to some people, well, let me just show how competent I am as a director. So I'll just make something that it's a pretty picture or it's a whatever kind of basic scene or it sort of checks off all the boxes. Let's just say that way. You know, this shows that I'm good. But if you're thinking that way, your work is going to say that and nothing else. But if you instead think about something that you want to communicate uh, hopefully something powerful, something important to you that, and you let that kind of push you forward, you're naturally going to make something more compelling that in the YouTube space, more people are going to want to look at and watch, share, et cetera. So I would say, try to pull something out of yourself. That's, that says something about you or says something that you want to say, or, or just do something really crazy and take the opportunity that you have in front of you, which is a rare thing, which is some small amount of money, not too many people are watching and second guessing you, you could do something really nuts that no one's ever seen before, or they don't know if they want to see it, or just just go crazy and, and may really do the thing that almost scares you. Um, because if you feel that way about it, other people are probably going to feel that way too. So it's definitely a, a chance to not play it safe. Awesome. Tim, thanks so much for uh, joining the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been been a real pleasure. Okay, that was the conversation with Tim Nakashi, film director, music video director. And Tim, thank you so much for joining the show. I hope you guys out there learned a bunch about what it's like to work in the industry and maybe some steps you could take to start breaking through or at least kind of conceptualize what it would be like to... uh, to make moves towards becoming a film director or work in music videos, which definitely was one of my uh, dream jobs when I was a kid growing up and watching MTV nonstop. You can learn more about Tim and see all of his videos, which I highly recommend you check out because they really are so inventive and so visually stimulating alongside the music. Check out timnakashi.com, T-I-M-N-A-C-K, 
A-S-H-I.com and check out all his work and connect with him. He's a great guy and I can't wait to see what he does next. And while you're on the interwebs, you should check out makingways.co. It's the podcast website where I've got original illustrations of each guest, articles you can read that really give you even more information that you can apply to your life and your career, show notes so you can go even deeper into the conversation. And be sure to connect with us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and sign up for the Making Ways newsletter on our website where you can get even more behind the scenes info and news about upcoming episodes and events. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix too. You should check out Jim's work as a musician and a producer at ttoproductions.com. And each week I'm hearing more and more from you all listening and the episodes you loved and the takeaways you got from certain conversations. If you're enjoying the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave a review. It's a really great way for more people to discover the show. Thanks so much and have a great week.